Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. First John 5. First John 5. And it's my understanding we may get uh, six inches of snow by in the morning. Sound great? How many of you like snow? I like snow cones. <clears throat> All right. First John five, <clears throat> verse four. Praise the name of the Lord. First John five, verse four. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And I want to speak on the subject, we're going to make it. Praise God. I believe that. And when I say we're going to make it, I'm talking about we're going to leave this world one of these days because we have overcome the world. And we will go and be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Praise God. We're going to make it. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Would you do that? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God. And you may be seated. All right. Praise the name of the Lord. Are you, are you cold tonight? And maybe it's just me. Somebody turn off all the fans. All right. Especially the one right above all this hair that I have up here. All right. <clears throat> Praise God. Just every now and then, whenever I'm speaking, this fan gets the best of me. And I am trying my best tonight to feel good. I'm praying and believing. My attitude is right. At least I think it is. But I do need a a touch of the Lord. Praise God. I don't know. uh, Charlie, you probably already started taping. I should have had you to uh, tape this a little bit later on. But if you notice, I've been losing weight. I really appreciate it. I'm not even going to tell you. All right? Just forget it. <laughs> All right. Brother Rich believes me. So, Rich, after service, I want to talk with you. We're going out for pizza. <laughs> I've actually lost 10 pounds in the last month. Can you believe that? <clears throat> Praise God. Now, I may have gained it back yesterday or day before on Thanksgiving, which I, I haven't weighed, but uh, I watched even what I ate then. I've just really been trying. See, uh, uh, really, I was supposed to have been about James Hawk's height. And uh, I'm serious. James and I weigh about the same. He might, But you know the thing about it is, when I was a kid... My primary job on the farm was to carry feed sacks on my shoulders. And for that reason, I, I got all squashed down. I never got real real tall. <clears throat> so that's really been my, my problem. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> oh, praise God. I'll tell you what. I love all of you. You're such a great group of people. We come to church, we always have fun. But we always end on a very high spiritual note. People leave and they're very encouraged. This morning, when service was over, I had so many people to come by and just express uh, how important the service was to them. I preached on the subject, the value 
of one church service. And I don't know if there's any particular service that you've been in in your lifetime that's left a, an impression on you. But I've been in a few church services that just really left a lasting impression. There's very few things that will happen to you in, in life that will change you forever. But I've been in a few services that just changed me. I was in a Wisconsin district camp meeting after arriving in Wisconsin 1968. Sister Grant and I and our three sons straight from Texas. We moved up in January. In fact, we left on January 21st, and when we arrived in Wisconsin, the night that we arrived, it was better than 30 below in Clintonville where we went. It was cold. We had a a dinette suit that we put in the uh, our kitchen area. It was uh, you know it was, it was called dinette. It was a kind of a country kitchen type uh, set, and it had vinyl on on the chairs. And when we unloaded that to put it in the apartment that we moved into, it was so cold that somebody grabbed one of those chairs and honestly the vinyl just shattered off. It just broke into just little tiny pieces. I thought, oh, Lord, why did I ever move to Wisconsin? That was in 1968. And I no more than arrived, and I caught pneumonia. I was sick. I didn't understand the value of wearing a coat. I never wore a hat much until I moved here. And then this problem, this health problem, respiratory problem, lingered until camp time. And I remember going to camp one night. And I remember the evening evangelist along with the day evangelist. The day evangelist was Brother Bill Sisko, William Sisko. And I was so sick with sinus problems and with uh, this lingering pneumonia that I'd had all year. I had actually had pneumonia three times. And I, I was so discouraged. I felt that I was in the will of God. But I just couldn't get over this. And I remember the evening evangelist coming by and not even knowing me. He stopped me and said, the Lord, just talk with me. And he lay hands on me and whispered in my ear, a message that I will never forget. He told me, he said, you know, you've been very discouraged and your health hasn't been the best. But you should not become discouraged because here in the state of Wisconsin, God has a real work for you. It was almost like prophecy. And then Brother Sisko came up and told me a very similar thing. And he lay hands on me and prayed for me. And the moment that he prayed for me, and I had a splitting headache, sinus headache, it just left me just from it, just like that. And I went away from camp meeting 1968, that one service, a changed person. A changed person. Now, I've been superintendent of our district almost 14 years. 
I never dreamed when I moved here in 68 that I would be asked to serve all of our churches. The truth of the matter is, I'm just kind of a blue-collar worker in a white-collar job. That's, that's the truth of the matter. I, re- I realize that. That we have so many well-qualified men to do what I'm doing. But the brethren have asked me to serve. These are the last days, you know. Did you know that Jesus is soon to return? There are many of you, I don't know much about you, and I don't know anything about some of you, nothing at all. And many of you that I know quite well, I, I don't really know that much about your spiritual life. Now, I stand behind the pulpit and preach. I see you lift your hands and worship God, but quite often I receive messages that a brother or sister is not doing so good. But if there's anything that we need to do in these last days, we need to keep each other on top, encouraged. This is something that is extremely important. Now, I'm going to be talking about overcoming. Overcoming. Uh, Each church that you find in Revelation 2 and 3, they had to overcome something. Uh, Let's just go there and then I'll come back to to my statement about encouraging each other. Revelation 2 and 3, you have probably noticed this already. At least I I have pointed this out in, in a message. It's been some time... Revelation 2, there was a letter written to the church at Ephesus. Now, there's seven letters that are written to the churches in Asia, to seven different churches in Asia. And the Lord has a message for each one. But He gives a summary. uh, And when He summarizes His statement, He makes this statement to each one. Verse 7, to Ephesus, Revelation 2, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. But the promise was given only if we overcome. Now what do we mean by overcoming? We're talking about being able to hurdle, crawl over, go around, or go under, whatever you have to do to get by whatever is between us and victory. And you certainly must have the want to. To the church of Smyrna, Revelation 8, Revelation 2, pardon me, 8 through 11, verse 11 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Then Pergamos... Verse 12 through verse 17. Verse 17 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in in the stone a name written which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. You know, we take on the name of Jesus. But did you know that to, to us who takes on the name of Jesus... To us now, the name of Jesus means something. It has an entirely different. It has an entirely different sound to it than people who have never been baptized in His name. 
Really? Now, when 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 the, the name Grant is called, you see that means something to me that it doesn't mean to you. Oh, by the way, my last name is Grant. In case you don't know, some of you may not know, but but when the name is mentioned, and then then when when Sister Grant and I were married. Uh, I went and rescued her. I keep saying this. She was a smith. There are more smiths in the world than... And we even have a few strays around here, you know. <clears throat> Brother Charlie in the sound booth, Brother Lenny back here, two big-time hillbillies, if you've ever seen them, I'll tell you. <clears throat> and, and Kathy went and married Lenny and rescued him. <clears throat> no, <clears throat> seriously, though, when the name Grant is mentioned, I will assure you that to Sister Grant, who has taken on my name, that that means something different to her than it means anybody else here, unless you married a Grant too, which some of you fortunate people were able to do. <laughs> Lori's shaking her head like, oh. I don't think she was saying no. I think she's saying stop all that stuff. <clears throat> but that's what the Lord's going to do. He's going to, in other words, he he will give us a name written in stone, etched forever, and it is a name that no man knoweth save he that receiveth it. Now it doesn't mean that you can't spell it. Doesn't mean you haven't heard it. But it simply means it doesn't have the sound that it has to those who have taken on His name and have become part of the bride of Christ. It's different altogether. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Then to Thyatira, the same thing is given. Verse 26, And he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end to him... I will give power over the nations. And then we go Revelation 3 to Sardis. Verse 5, To he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Then Philadelphia comes along. And Philadelphia, in verse uh, chapter number, uh, verse 12, pardon me, of, of chapter 3, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Oh, praise God. I'll tell you what, I, I spend a lot of days not thinking about going to heaven. I must confess I'm just so tied up and so busy dealing with people and talking to people. But occasionally you need to get alone and you need to, you need to, you need to renew your relationship with God. You need to, you need to renew the intimacy that you have in your relationship. And I will assure you that when this happens, there will become a, there will come a desire inside of you to go to heaven that you haven't had in a long time. And lately, Quite frankly, I've just, I've just, I've just had this desire in my heart. I'd like to be in the presence of God forever and forever and forever. Notice 
the Bible says, talks about the temple and talks about the holy city. Praise God. Do you know that we will go to heaven to be in the presence of God, and we will not be affected by this world, by the curse of this world, by the sin of this world, by the materialism of this world, or by any of the garbage of this world anymore? We'll be in the presence of God forever. Then to the message of the Laodiceans, and verse 21, and, and, and this is winding down the two chapters dealing with the letters. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Praise God. You know, Jesus Christ came into this world to teach us how to live, teach us how to overcome now, what I want to do is talk about overcoming a few things. And some of these are found in the letters and some are not. First thing I want to talk about is overcoming discouragement. I, I, I started into this and, and got ahead of myself a little bit. But I, I'll tell you what, if, if you've ever had a spiritual gift, you need the, the gift of encouragement. If you could just help somebody, keep somebody encouraged. I, th- I think it'd be real good. You know, I've... I've mentioned this several times, but I'd like to see you on a daily basis, every day, call somebody and just simply see if you can encourage them. Now, you might call somebody that you think that's encouraged already, and perhaps they will be. But nevertheless, uh, uh, the kind words that you give, there are a lot of situations in this life that we rub shoulders with. And truthfully, they they can bring about a lot of disappointment and discouragement. We have people with uh, chronic health problems. How many of you have a, a health problem? Let me see your hand, all right? Wow, this is real life, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we see them building onto the hospitals and, and clinics. and You know the reason why? Because we live in a world that's far less than perfect. And people do have problems. Brother Manley has been in bed all day long. Brother Manley has had arthritis throughout his body for some time now, and he hasn't slept well in about three weeks, and and he is just sick this weekend. Now, what some of you should do tomorrow is pick up the phone and give him a call. Encourage him. There, there are others that have been sick. We, we call all the names of people. Uh, call some of these people. Encourage them. And then, of course, separate and apart from sicknesses that people have, uh, there, there are many other things. Some people, uh, they're in financial need. You know, just they just get in a bind. Now, sometimes it's simply because that they were not wise and they're spending, they overspent, uh, uh, there are others that are, you know, just as frugal as they can be, and still they get in financial trouble. But uh, that's not for us to say. Uh, God has not sent us along to to judge the whole world. He just sent us along to encourage each other. And you, if you see someone in church and they're not worshiping God the way that uh, you feel they should. Now, I'm not talking about worshiping God the way you think they ought to worship God, but I'm talking about detecting that they're down, detecting that there's a problem. Uh, What should you do about that? 
You should go to that person, pray with that person, encourage that person. There's one thing that I, I can say about Calvary Gospel Church, and this has been true throughout the years, is that I, I do not know of a church where the people care more for each other than right here in this local assembly. I really mean that. We have some very wonderful and fine people here. They really know how to, you really know how to keep each other going. But you see, <clears throat> because life is so complicated nowadays, you know what happens? There's something that robs my time and robs your time. You know, I, I really don't know how uh, that, that I made it years ago. When, when I was growing up, uh, we never missed a church service that I know of. Just always went. And when we had revival services, we, we, we never had a rest night. I mean, we went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And sometimes you'd have two weeks, three weeks, four week revivals. Never miss a service. Long services. I meant long services. And we just kept going, just kept going. We didn't have a lot of modern conveniences. In our church, you know, we never had a telephone. Didn't have a drinking fountain. Didn't have restrooms. Didn't have a nursery. Now, how did we make it? I don't know. But we all did. But there's one thing we did do, though. We kept our mind on the Lord. Really. And then when you go to the, to the home place, and some of you, some of you date back much, much further than I do. I remember my dad was the ice man, had a pickup truck, and the ice was frozen downtown, and, and, and he would go and get this huge block of ice, and somehow, I don't recall now how it was scored, but it was scored. So that you took an ice pick, you, you put a tarp over this, and had sawdust all around it to keep it uh, to keep it nice and 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 cold. It's the only insulation they had. And then you take and you you drive up the house and ask them what how much ice they wanted: twenty five pounds, fifty pounds, seventy five pounds, or a hundred pounds. And you, and you cut that, and you have these ice tongs. And usually you go around the back porch. The ice man did. And no running water. Most of the houses didn't have running water. And, and you'd take the dipper out of the bucket and you'd wash the sawdust off of it. And then you'd take it in and you put it in the ice box. That's, that's, the, that's the way we did it. No refrigeration, see. And, and the, the milk, uh, we, we'd take the milk and, and we'd put it in syrup buckets, seal the, the lid down real good, put it inside the bucket and let it down in the well. That's how we kept it cool. <clears throat> Can you believe all that? We only went to town, maybe that's uh, one key, we only went to town about once a month, maybe maybe twice a month. Uh, when we went, though, we went on Saturday, we stayed all day, most all day. And when we went to the grocery store, guess what we bought? We'd buy sugar and flour. And a few things like that. A few necessary commodities. No meat. No vegetables. You know, no cereal. 
I always thought sissies ate oatmeal. That's the only kind of cereal they had down. I thought sissies, oatmeal's for sissies. But it seems like we had a lot of time. I don't know. We visited a lot. You know, we went to church a lot. Now we come along, we got push button this and push button that and this and this and this and that. You know, got a microwave, a toaster, a bread maker. You know, we just got almost everything, you know. Just just name it. We're just a whiz at that. Wash your clothes. Oh, my. I remember wash day. We had a great big wash pot. I mean, a big wash pot, cast iron, set out by the well. And we, we put all the, the, the wood around this thing, just like you're building a fire in a fireplace. Put all this wood around this and get the water boiling hot. Had to draw it up. You want it close to the well so you can just dump the water in it. And put all of our work clothes in there. And then we take this soap. By the way, we made our own soap. Lye soap. Make it out of hog lard, fat, meat, and acid. Lye, actually, you put lye in it. And you take a knife and just whittle this stuff up, and it just falls down in there. Then you take this big old paddle, and you just really just... Work these clothes over. And then you pull them out. When it's so hot, you can hardly touch them. And then you take them over the rub board. And I mean, you scrub them. You scrub them. You know, you'd think today we'd have a lot of time on our hands that we'd have nothing to do but just look out the window and wonder what we're going to do next. But it isn't that way, is it? Oh, no, it isn't. It is not easy to find time to call someone to encourage them. Now, you may say, why? Well, it's because the priorities of Christians have changed drastically. We've changed our priority from people to things. You know that? Now, we want to overcome discouragement. And we need a lot of people here at Calvary Gospel Church that exercises that good gift of encouragement. Now, there are certain people that that every time they come by me, they have a word of encouragement. I mean, really. There are others. No, they have other gifts. Everyone should have a different gift. I understand that. Well, maybe I shouldn't say everyone should have a different gift. I don't think that there should be 250 gifts. I don't know how many people we have here tonight, but around 200, I'd say. But basically, we should not all have the same gift. But there are many different ways to encourage people. I remember... a. A situation that happened in my life that just knocked the breath out of me. Spiritually, it really knocked the breath out of me. And we had a pastor several states over that found out about it. Now, I don't know if he didn't know how to comment on it or or whatever, but I received a note from him, just a folded piece of paper. And inside, all it said was, I really do care. And it was signed by Brother J.T. Pugh. You saw his picture tonight. 
That's all it said. And I looked at that, and I started crying. I cried and cried. You know the reason why I cried? Because somebody cared. I really thought nobody cared. Well, I didn't think many people knew about it, but I I just felt maybe the people that knew didn't really care. And that's all the note said, but I will never forget J.T. Pugh's handwritten note. Now, his handwriting is so horrible that you can hardly read it. But I made it out. I really do care. J.T. Pugh, that's all he said. Now, let's just talk then about overcoming materialism. Because materialism seems to be such a blessing to us in America, but yet it can be such a curse. If your priorities are not right, materialism is a horrible thing. Why? Because people seem to have the tendency to replace the invisible with the visible. Someone wrote a book several years ago I don't recall who wrote the book, nor the title of the book, but there was a statement made in this that really hit me hard. This was written by a United Methodist minister. And he said, the problem with American churches is this, that when churches grow to a particular point, they seem to replace the invisible with the visible. Now, when you say you replace it, naturally, both are still there. But it's the way you arrange priorities. It's the, it's the emphasis that's placed on it. After a while, it's the beautiful building. It's, you know, what you, what you wear. It's, uh, and some of these things, as you well know, they diametrically oppose the philosophy and lifestyle and doctrine of the Scripture. What would it profit a man, Jesus said, if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? Or what should a man give in exchange for his soul? Life is more than meat. The body is more than raiment. This is what the Lord said. But you see, the way we measure success in America is how many toys we can collect. What kind of a house we live in. What kind of a car we drive. I don't want you to think that I'm not grateful for the car that the church furnishes for Sister Grant and I. I'm very happy and grateful. But I want you to know one thing, that the most important thing that's furnished by this church is not that car. But it's the fellowship that I have with Christian believers, you, and the fellowship that I have with my God. That's more important to me than anything else in this world. You see, I discovered. And when you discover things in the Scripture, you have to dig. You know, like digging, mining for gold. You know, In the book of Proverbs, it talks about this. About discovering truth that's more precious than, than discovering silver or gold. 
And you see these miners go out and, and they, they, they start on the side of the hill and they dig back in and they, they check every rock and they, they sift through all of this and, and they, they take all the dust and they load it on wagons and send it out and they, they run it through water and such. And after a while they have just a few little nuggets of gold. This is it. And sometimes to find divine truth, it's not that God intentionally hid things from us and placed it in Scripture where it's hard to find. It simply means that I am human and I'm not always as spiritual as I need to be. And therefore, some things because of this robe of flesh that I wear, they are so obscure and so hidden in the Scripture. But through careful digging through the Scripture, I uncovered one important principle that's been a real, real landmark for me. The only way, listen to this, that I know that I have conquered greed is found in my ability to open my hands and give. And give. And give. That's the only way that I'll ever know that I've conquered greed. My ability to turn loose of things. I remember one time selling a car to an individual. He was a Christian man. And he didn't pay me, he didn't pay me, he didn't pay me. And I needed the money. And I didn't know what to do. And the agreement was that I would, I would hold the title. He was a close friend. And he was going to pay me within a week or so. Now, nowadays it might not be a very good arrangement because there's a lot of liability involved in someone driving your car around, you know. Didn't think much about it then, but I sure need the money. But when I went and talked with him, his attitude wasn't the best. And I knew that I was picking up an attitude that wasn't right also. So, I hardly knew what to say, and when I said it, it didn't come out right, I guess. He took offense to it, and he got upset. I mean, I was trying to be nice, but I just didn't know what to do. So, as I tried my best to talk, I could tell his temper was getting the best, and he was upset about it, and of course he was using the car, and uh, he, he said he couldn't give it back, and told me he wasn't, and furthermore, he said, uh, I, <clears throat> I don't think that uh, I will ever pay you. So, <clears throat> now, I want, I want to tell you this. Too. I'll, I'll put this in. Sister Grant and I were the very first, the very first Christmas for Christ missionaries in the state of Wisconsin. And we were on Christmas for Christ. Now, Christmas for Christ paid us a grand total of $495 a month. And we were to work full time. Now, I had just gotten a job. They'd let you get a job before you got off of Christmas for Christ. So I was right on the tail end of this support. And then my Christmas for Christ was running out. I needed the money. I could, I just couldn't live on it. But that's not much money. It wasn't much money back in 1970. And I needed the money. So I had a little attitude problem. And I detected that he had an attitude problem. I said, hold it just a minute. I said, let's, let's don't get involved. And I said, you claim to be Christian. I claim to be Christian. 
Now, I'm using the word claim not to judge you, but to bring an important principle. If you don't pay your bills, which you told me you'd do, you cannot be saved. If I hold a grudge, if I have an unforgiving spirit, I can't be saved. So I have the answer to this. And I pulled the title out and signed the title and gave it to the man. And I said, look, this car belongs to you. You don't owe me anything. If you don't go to heaven, it won't be because you owe John Grant a bill. And I have no justifiable purpose or reason for holding a grudge anymore. Because I am doing this willingly. And if I hold a grudge, if I have an unforgiving spirit, it won't be because of anything you have done because I forgive you of this debt. And I gave him the car. And let me tell you something. I need the money. But I, I felt like in a moment's time that I had the formula to see him saved and to see myself saved. You see, life is more than all the toys that you collect. While it's necessary to have good transportation and live in a nice home and such, don't ever take your home. Don't ever take your automobile. Don't ever take whatever you have in this life and put it ahead of God. The invisible must be the predominant in your life. It must be God first, and everything else must be secondary. It has to be that way. Some of the most horrible, miserable people in the world are people that are eaten up with materialism. Now, I want to throw something in just to... You know, in America, you know, we have a very unique society. Now, this is a country in which you can borrow a whole lot more money and you never pay back. Very few countries like that. America is one country in which you can be broke, totally broke, live off of credit cards and government assistance. In other words, you can go shopping every day. Did you know there are a lot of very poor people that buy some quite nice luxury items? Now, I happen to know. I have access to this type of information. I know people that, that wear coats and clothing that you would think only rich people would wear. And there's not one person in the household that holds a job. Now, I'm telling you what materialism will do. We'd rather go hungry than to do without our jackets. Especially this jacket is an NFL team jacket, you know. And I've got to have my starter cap. And I've got to wear it backwards or sideways. I've got to have my big boom box. 
We're eating up with things. And yet we're so unhappy. Why are we unhappy? The best thing in life is what you're involved right here tonight. Now, please, please understand that if you wear a nice jacket out of here tonight, it's got a big W on it. And you put on your starter cap and turn it sideways. And you pick up your big boom box. I'm not preaching to you unless... That's your God. If you can come in here and sit down and worship God, clap your hands and make a joyful noise on the Lord, and come and pray with outsiders that need the Holy Ghost, if you can go into your youth class and add to that class, if you can reach around and shake hands with someone and encourage them, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people who substitute. Something as cheap as an expensive jacket for his relationship with his God. Overcoming selfish materialism. Small minds talk about people and things. If you want to know the measure of your worth, just take take a look at your conversation. There's some people, that's all they know how to talk about. Boy, you should see what kind of a sale they're having over it. Certain store on perfume. Is it important to wear perfume? Well, it depends on what you smell like when you don't have it on. <clears throat> no, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about... I'm talking about people, that's all they can think about. And really, I mean, that does get a hold of people. You know that? I've had people come up and pull my, my, my coat open and see what kind of label I had inside. Now, if you want to know what kind of suit I have on, look at this. See that label? It's generic. <clears throat> Somebody asked me, what a lovely suit. What, what, what kind of suit do you have on, Pastor Grant? I couldn't, I don't even know. I have no idea. It just... One of the few in the store that would fit me. <laughs> if I allowed myself, I could get caught up in all of that. And I'm not saying if you can afford it that you shouldn't shop for name brands. I'm not, I'm not against that. It's just that when all of that takes the place of your worship, and then there's some people that, that all they can talk about is people. Now you talk about a little, little mind. You don't have to have a mind bigger than a, than, than a peanut to talk about people. Now, let me ask you this. 
How would you like to have the reputation as being the town gossip? You remember the old movies when they always had some town gossip? Somebody running from house to house, you know. How'd you like to have the reputation of that? <laughs> Could I tell you something here? It wouldn't make you mad. <clears throat> I got to think about it. Got to say this just right. We got a few people here with that reputation. <laughs> oh my. Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you. Shake their hand and say, he's not talking about you. <laughs> then I want you to turn and shake their hand. I hear this is this one's loaded and say, but he might be talking about me. <laughs> now, why would you want a reputation like that? Boy, there's some people, I don't know how in the world they pick up all the information. But boy, there's some people, they have an inside track on what everybody's doing on this planet Earth. Small minds think about things and people and talk about things and talk about people. But great minds think about concepts and ideas. They're interested in furthering the cause of Christ and building character in people. You've never lived until you've gone into someone's home and taught them a home Bible study. You've never lived until you've gotten down on your knees at an altar someplace and rolled up your sleeves and prayed some dying sinner through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You've never lived until you've gone into a hospital and knelt down beside some dying soul on the hospital bed and opened your bottle of oil and anointed it with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for their healing. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. You've never really lived until you've learned to live for people, for others. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And where would we be, any of us, if somebody had not cared enough to emphasize, to emphasize our need of God and to give themselves for us, overcoming secular values. You know, we, we, we heard in the film strip t- tonight secular humanism. There's a lot going around about humanism, about secular values. Now, <clears throat> I will just confine this conversation with you to just one little area, and we'll just talk about your vocation. I have known of people who have given up great careers with God and cheapened their lives to become something far less than their services that they would render for the Lord. I've known the people with great athletic abilities. Now, I want to make a couple of statements here that you, some of you may be offended. 
But you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't understand why. And I've known this to happen. I'm, I've personally known a few people that w- that have given up their calling to preach the gospel in order to play professional basketball and football and such. You may say, "Oh, can't you do both?" Well, if you want to be a part-time preacher, if you want to be a part-time uh, servant of the Lord, and isn't it amazing that almost all of these professional games take place on Sunday when people ought to be in church? You know, I heard one professional athlete recently make this statement. Said, so, well, my Christianity really suffers during the football season because from August until mid-January, I mean, I'm out of the house of God. How can I go when I'm playing all the time? Now, maybe I'm talking to somebody here that's trying their best, trying their very best to become the best that you can in a vocation that would take you away from God. You know, there's certain things that you you have to be careful because uh, some of these things will rob you. And and it doesn't take much of a twist in, in priorities until it becomes number one. I don't know if I told this here in Beloit last Sunday night, but Sister Grant and I went into the Chancery. It's a eating place over in Mequon. There's also one in Milwaukee, I know, near the airport. But we went into the Chancery, and all the teenagers working there, look, at least they looked like they were teenagers. They had on a T-shirt, red, bright red T-shirt with white letters, and this is what the statement uh, was on the back of the T-shirt. It said, "Can you justify the last 20 years of your life?" Now, maybe that has some uh, meaning that's associated with perhaps some type of ent- entertainment or advertising. A lot of times, you know, I, I see things. I don't know what it's all about, and somebody, oh, brother, great, everybody's. <clears throat> You know, somebody, some of our young people recently said, Oh, Brother Grant, you tell these old, corny, old jokes. Said, just like my mother. You know. You know who said that, Sharon? You know what I told your lovely daughter? I said, at least we're not sore heads like you. Leah, you're a sweetheart, I'll tell you. Is her face red? Let me see your face, Leah. But sometimes things go on. I really don't have any clue what's going on. And, and, I, and I will say this. I do appreciate our young people because they, they always, if I miss the, the cue, they usually come around and say, Brother Grant, you were talking about this, but that really means this. Now, I don't know what this statement meant. 
But I, I do know what I got out of it, because I sat there and I looked at that. And when the young lady who was wearing the T-shirt went around the door, I just sat there kind of with a blank stare toward the door. I said, you know, that's a challenging statement. Now, some of you are not 20 years of age, so you don't have to worry about justifying 20 years or 25, whatever it was. But I'm older than that. I wonder, with just a little bit more effort, and I wonder if I would have kept my priorities a little straighter, how many more souls would be saved today? Now, I know, according to Richard Exley's book on the rhythm of life, that there's more to life than just prayer and worship and praise. I know that. I know the Bible says that. The rhythm of life, according to Richard Exley, and it's taken from the Scripture, is that we work, we worship. We work, we worship, we rest and uh, we play. And he said, play times are important. Keeps you from getting burned out. Now, I can truthfully say, I don't know that I've ever felt burned out. The closest I've ever come to it is when Sister Grant spiced up the Dorito casserole. That was the closest burnout I've ever had. <laughs> but i got to tell you, I... I enjoy life. I think it is very important. But I also know that that you need rest. And this this may amaze some of you, but if you look in the Old Testament concerning the original Sabbath, if I am interpreting the Old Testament correctly, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then the Lord told the Jewish people how to keep it holy. The original Sabbath, contrary to what most people say, was not a day of worship. It was a day of rest. And when Jesus Christ arose, He arose on the first day of the week. And the Christian Sabbath in the Bible is known as the Lord's Day. And that does not mean that a day of rest should be put aside for a day of worship. If you work six days, totally six days, from sunup to sundown, the way we go today, and then work at night and everything. What are you saying, Brother Grant? This is what I'm saying. That you do need rest. Because for the Christians, Sunday is not altogether a day of rest. It actually is my hardest day. So we have a lot of things to overcome. We have to overcome false doctrine, false religions, selfish pleasures. 
But I do know <clears throat> that we will overcome. You know why? Because I looked in the back of the book. Now, I don't know how the school books are today, but when I went to school, they had the answers in the back of the book. And the teacher always said, now, don't look in the back of the book. How many of you must confess that you've looked in the back of the book? Well, <laughs> I feel like I have a lot of friends here when I make this statement. I've looked in the back of the book. And let me tell you something. I've looked in the back of this book, too. And the back of this book tells me that as sure as the message, the prophecy went forth to him that overcometh, if we overcome, we will also sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. In Revelation 4 and 5, there are the twenty and four elders. That represents the Old Testament saints along with the New Testament saints. And they are gathered around the throne. They're there, the Bible says, from every kindred, nation, and tongue. Thank the Lord for this great outpouring revival spirit that's, that's circling our globe. I talked with Brother Billy Cole today, and I, I told Brother Billy Cole, I said, Brother Cole, I want to go to Ethiopia with you, but I'm not for sure that I can go. And actually, I called to tell him I couldn't go. And he wouldn't. He said, now, Brother Grant, he said, now, you just, let's don't say you can't go, because you don't know yet. If you had to tell me today, the answer would be no. But we're going in March. And he said, we're, we're getting a new location. We will have 600,000 people in one location in which we will preach this wonderful Jesus' name, apostolic gospel truth to them. He said, Brother Grant, we need you to come. Don't say no. Now, if you can't go, nobody's going to feel badly about it, but we're just going to, things can change. We're just going to believe God. And we're expecting 100,000 souls in one day to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This will be the most people that's ever received the Holy Ghost in one day, in one place, since the day of Pentecost. And this church is reaching people of all nation, kindred, and tongues. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And there's one thing that we need to do here at Calvary Gospel Church. We need to forget about the class of people that we deal with. The rich and the poor. It doesn't make any difference. The black, the white, the yellow, the red. Listen, all ground at Calvary is level, my friend. There's no big eyes and little U's. The kings will stand before God alongside of the paupers on the judgment day. And also, when the rapture takes place, my friend, it won't make any difference what nation you're from. It won't make any difference what kindred or tongue you're from. Jesus Christ came not to care for our skins. He came to take care of our sins. And He will redeem us and take us up to be with Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. My friend, we're going to make it. 
Yes, we are. We're going to make it. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. And here in America, right now, there's so much racial tension. God forbid they would ever invade the doors of Calvary Gospel Church. You're my brother! And you're my sister! And let's take each other by the hand! And let's wait! Let's eagerly wait for the sounding of the trumpet. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Would you stand with me right now? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost in this place tonight. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Lord here. Jesus, I sure love you, God. I worship you, God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. I love you, God. I love you, God. Oh, hallelujah. With the Spirit of the Holy Ghost right here, right now, I feel that some would like to come and pray. If you're a guest of ours and you do not have a vibrant experience with the Lord, tonight is a good night for you to come. Why don't you step right out? Come on down. Give your heart to the Lord. Would you do that right now? Come on. Come on right now. Oh, God. God bless our little ones who are coming. It's always a great, great thrill to see these young people coming and praying. God bless them. Come on, you adults. Let's join them. Come on, guests. Why don't you come on right now? There's room here for you to pray. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus loves you and Jesus cares for you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
My Lord and my Savior, my Lord and my Savior. Jesus is alive and real. Now perhaps standing near you is someone that would like to come and pray. If you sense that they'd like to come and pray, why don't you invite them to come down to the altar and pray right now? Oh, God, that's it. Come on. Oh. Acres of 